Hey guys, Kurt here. So, as it turns out, um, I was talking into a microphone that apparently was not set up for some strange reason. Um, set up with my audacity. So, the entire time I was doing it, uh, I was speaking into this microphone, it was picking me up on my really crappy, tiny, tinny desktop microphone. So, I apologize. I'm not going to redo an entire hour episode for you guys. I, I apologize the sound isn't 100%. But it isn't bad, I must admit, and I've tooled with it and tweaked it a little bit here and there. So it's not terrible, but I wanted to let you know, if you're wondering why it doesn't sound quite so professional on this episode, well, that's me and my computer not really working properly. Alrighty, enjoy the episode. <laughs> Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Samvig and I am back. That's right, the pesky day job, well, it got in the way, but I am back, and this is Paranormal Almanac. And on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take a look at some unusual hauntings. Not the usual spurned lover turned ghost or basic old-timey ghost still hanging around in an old-timey place. No, this time... Let's talk about the odd, the unusual, the weird, but mostly the odd. But first, it's time for some shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs to Aaron Aaron, ah, monsters, Lauren and David, Lauren and David, is that right? Yes, Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Angie, April, Ariel, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bob, Hey Bob, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Cindy, Cole, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Dorian, Hey Dorian, Drake, Edgar, oh, and thank you Dorian for checking in on me. Still alive, still having some fun. Edgar, Elliot, Erica, Aaron. Alright, I'm gonna pause right here in the shoutouts for a very special shoutout. Thankfully, listener Aaron, patron Aaron, was like, hey, I'm gonna be in town in Los Angeles. I couldn't, I can't make it for the Bigfoot Collectors Club. The what? More on that in a moment. But I can't make it for that, but I would love to hang out with you. So I said, hell yeah, I want to hang out with you. Just a heads up, anytime you guys want to hang out, please let me know. If you're in the Los Angeles area, you want to get together, and if I can make it, trust me, I want to. I really love hanging out with you guys. Aaron and I had fun. We were chatting. We ate ginormous pretzels and drank a couple of rum and cokes and just had a damn good time. So, first of all, I want to say thank you for Aaron for not killing me, because, you know, that's always a risk. Uh, but also, thank you for being cool. Uh, she's an awesome patron. We had a blast. She actually, I get to bounce some things off her, which is always cool, because I never know what the patrons want, what the listeners want, whatever. So I can actually ask somebody, and, you know, she was there and she listened. And like I said, we had a blast, we had a good old time. I'm going to post a photo of her and I that I took right before her, you know, she took off in her Uber. Uh, I'll post that on the Instagram as well. 
Uh, I know she's been waiting for it, but I've been waiting for this. Uh, so, Aaron, thank you again. Always a blast. Hope to see you again soon. We'll have to go to the Omen house. It'll be fun. All right, back to shoutouts. Fabian, Harley, Harvey, Heidi. Uh-oh, this one just says I. It's literally just the letter I. Hello, I. Isabel, J. Mark, Jade. Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jeff. Jenny, oh, speaking of Jeff, anytime I can shout out some of my patrons and their amazing art and crafts and abilities and stuff that I could never, ever begin to even think about making, trust me, I will. And Jeff is no exception. So Jeff has a company called Briar and the Rose. So you can go to briarandtherose.com. He's a jewelry maker, uh, apparently out of San Diego, California. His stuff is incredible. I don't know how quickly he can get it to you, but if you need a late Christmas gift, I'm going to say this is the place to go. Definitely check it out. Go to briarandtherose.com. I'm not getting paid for it. He's just a cool guy that makes amazing jewelry. And trust me when I say I want some of it. Anyhow, sorry, back to shoutouts. Jenny, Jennifer, Jerry, Joe, John, Joshua, Judy, Juliana, Catherine, Kelsey, Kenny, Kimberly, Kira, Kyle, Laura, 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 Ruth O, Lauren, hey Lauren, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, M. Caballero, oh, welcome back to California, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Maggie, hey Maggie, how you doing? I hope you're doing good. Martin, Matt, Megan, Mildog. Yeah, it says Mildog. I'm going to say it too. Mildog, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paige, Paula, Rachel, Reed, Rosa, Sarah, Sarah, Sean Bishop, the amazing, Shelly, Stacy, Sonny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Trey, Troy, and Veronica. So, patrons, I have some stuff for you. I still have some stuff to record for you and stuff to get out to you that's already been recorded. So don't worry, there's a lot coming for you guys, especially perhaps, maybe, for Christmas? A special episode just for you guys? I hope so. I hope I can get it done. But I think I can. Now, I have an extra shout-out, a special shout-out to listener Holden. Holden is an awesome guy. I've met him a couple of times. He's a good kid. He's not even a kid anymore. He's a guy. Um, anyhow, special shout-out to Holden. Holden, this one's for you. Okay, before I get to paranormal news, I want to talk about the Bigfoot Collectors Club. I don't know if you guys listen to other podcasts. It's okay if you do. It's fine. But you should be listening to Big Bigfoot Collectors Club. They're a great group of guys. If you like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, he's from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. One of the hosts is from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. They always have amazing guests on most of the time from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Again, it's very cool. Well, they did a live episode over at the Bigfoot Lodge, and I kind of helped them out. I helped them get set up and everything because I used to work at the Bigfoot Lodge. Anyhow... So they did an episode. If you listen to the live episode from Bigfoot Lodge, you just might hear a familiar voice. Besides them, of course. A familiar voice from this podcast. So check it out. If they play again, or if they do another live performance at the uh, Bigfoot Lodge, I'll let you guys know. Trust me, it's a blast. You will love it. I'll invite you out. Let's hang out. Let's watch another podcast being recorded. Okay, with that, let's get to paranormal news. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. And the first one in Paranormal News, 10 things you didn't know about Exhibition Bigfoot. Nope. Expedition Bigfoot. 
Hopefully, you guys are watching Expedition Bigfoot on the Travel Channel. Bryce from Bigfoot Collectors Club is on there. It looks to me like this is the show to watch if you want to find a Bigfoot. They actually spend the time out in the forest. They used science to figure out the best time to go to the forest. The locations, they're using LiDAR to find game trails. This looks like it's going to be the one. Hopefully, knock on glass, because I have a glass, new glass desk. Knock on glass, hopefully, they find a Bigfoot and finally prove to the world what we already know, that Bigfoot are real and don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. All right, so the 10 things you didn't know about Exhibition Bigfoot. Expedition Bigfoot. One, it's set in North America. You know what? I did know that, because if you watch the first episode, it's in Oregon. Two, focused on a very popular cryptid. Um, yeah. Three, multiple potential explanations for the cryptid. All right, I'm behind that. I want to know more about that. Four, hoaxes are one possible explanation, potential explanation. Well, yeah, of course there are. Whenever there's cryptids, there's hoaxes. Guess what? Whenever there's anything, there's hoaxes. Five, misidentification is one potential explanation. Sure, but not all Bigfoot are misidentified bear and, you know, deer and other crap. There's other things out there that can't be explained. Six, previously unconfirmed species of an ape is one possible explanation. Yeah, that's just a Bigfoot. Seven, sees the involvement of Bryce Johnson. Again, awesome guy, Bryce Johnson. If you ever saw the amazing Bobcat Goldthwait movie, Willow Creek, Bryce Johnson is in that. He is fantastic. He's always, Bryce has always been interested in Bigfoot. I think he's a great host. I think he's a great person to go out and potentially find Bigfoot. Eight. Sees the involvement of Dr. Oh, I'm going to say her name wrong. Mariah Maria Mayer. Nine, the involvement of Russell Accord. Ten, the involvement of Ronnie LeBlanc and Ryan Golombeski. So those are things that I did know about it, because it, again, if you watch the first episode, you will know about it. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, with a very terrible article, what I'm trying to say is, watch Expedition Bigfoot on the Travel Channel. It's amazing. Okay, next up in paranormal news, China's huge alien hunting radio telescope is finishing its testing phase. Now, this is about 14 days ago. They have this huge satellite. It's located in China's... Nope. Jizhuazhu... Jizhu... Province? Sure, that's got to be right. It's a 500-meter aperture spherical telescope, a FAST. And it began trials in September 2016, but they're using FAST. Basically, they are using FAST, which is the world's largest single-dish radio telescope, for a variety of tasks, including the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, China's Central Television reports that so far, FAST has detected and identified 99 rapidly spinning neutron stars, known as pulsars, more than 30 of which are especially fast-rotating millisecond pulsars. Why is that important? No idea. But basically, we have another ginormous satellite pointed to the stars, looking for extraterrestrial intelligence, and hopefully finding it very soon. They say they hope that in the next three years we can further improve the reliability of FAST and increase its effective observation time, observation time to 50%. 
since it's already about three times as sensitive as the second largest telescope in the world, a 50% effective observation time is already very remarkable. So obviously I'll be following that one and letting you know if they ever find anything. Up next is one of my new favorite sites. There's a site called Squatchable.com, which is an amazing site for Bigfoot news. So not shockingly enough, I love going here to see it. So they've got a brand new one called the Indonesian Bigfoot Video. I'm gonna play it for you first, let you know what I think, put it up in the big screen. Alrighty, so it's a video and you get, you know, you skip to about two minutes and 20 seconds into the video. There is a very bizarre thing that happens. It looks to me like a very digitized Bigfoot comes right towards the cameraman. I'm gonna go back to that because I wanna see that again. Yeah, so about two minutes and 20 seconds in. Eh, about two minutes, 12 seconds in. This shadowy creature thing just comes walking out from the woods straight at the cameraman. The problem is that you can kind of see through it, or it kind of looks digitized. I don't know what to make of it, but I'm going to post this one up onto the Facebook page because I always like to see what you guys think of these really weird videos. Sticking with Squatchable, though, alien UFO caught on real tape footage over Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, again, this seems to be like a be-all, end-all spot for paranormal news. So, uh, let's skip ahead on this one. It's a 7 minute and 32 second video. Looks to me like a drone, but then it keeps getting bigger and bigger more and more. Lots of dots over the uh, Cosmopolitan Hotel in Vegas. If you guys never knew this, I don't know if I've ever told this on the show. I think I have. I personally think that I had a UFO experience over Vegas as well. The weird thing about that one was that nobody really freaked out. It's very surreal. I looked up, I saw a triangle craft over Vegas uh, coming out of Excalibur. I was looking up and I was like, what the hell is that? And other people are like, oh, what is that? And then it kind of just kind of went by silently and everybody went right back into, oh, let's go gamble. Like nobody freaked out. It was before, really before cell phones. So no one like grabbed their cell phone to take video of it. But it was very strange that nobody reacted like you think people would react to seeing a UFO above them, which is a common thing that do that you do hear quite a bit um, during UFO um, encounters, that people have some kind of weird thing that come over them that make it not seem so strange that they're looking up and seeing a UFO. But anyhow, it was a very bizarre time. I personally think I saw a UFO. Can't prove it. Hopefully it wasn't a dream. I don't think it was. But let's move on. In paranormal news, mysterious lights hovering over Mesa Sky Sunday night puzzles residents. Mysterious lights hovering above the East Valley may have been wondering, may have many wondering if we've had a close encounter. It was pretty bright. It was about straight up over here, and it went straight that way. Stopped, and it didn't seem like it was didn't seem like it was too far. Says DJ Meyer and Carrie Burnett describing what they saw. The couple say they spotted the phenomenon outside their Mesa home on Sunday night around nine that night. The couple says they spotted the phenomenon outside their Mesa home on Sunday night around 9 that night. They said that the object seemed to come from the southeast. It started moving kind of diagonal across. I was trying to figure out what it was or which way it was heading, and that's when he noticed it started dropping things from it. The object captured on two cell phones looked like a bright orb hovering silently in the sky. Every few moments, the object appears to drop what looked to be flares towards the ground. And it wasn't just us. Our neighbors next door... They were out. They weren't even filming. They were more in amazement like statues just watching it. So again, I want to know what you guys think. I'm going to post this video or the link onto Facebook if I can't do the, you know, the video perfectly. 
I'll post this whole link, could be military training exercises. They often drop flares for various uh, military trainings, but is that all it was? Or was it a UFO? I'll leave it up to you to decide. And finally, in paranormal news, thousands of government UFO reports now available at Canadian University. A private UFO enthusiast has donated his collection of 30,000 documents to the University of Manitoba in Canada. Now, they say that the donation comes courtesy of Chris Rakowski, a science writer and prolific Canadian ufologist. Rakowski's collection includes more than 20,000 UFO reports filed over the past 30 years, plus more than 10,000 UFO-related documents from the Canadian government. So, if you get a chance, head on over to the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg and start reading through these because this sounds incredible and I want to check it out. Hopefully they upload them all online so everybody can read them anywhere. So we don't have to all drive up to the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. Well, that was it for Paranormal News. Thank you very much. But finally, before I get to the topic at hand, I have new merch coming very soon. I was hoping to have it done by Christmas. It didn't happen. It didn't pan out. But I'm having some amazing, talented artist friends of mine they're nice enough, one of them, I shouldn't say they, he is nice enough to be creating some incredible merch for you guys. I want to do some cool shirts, um, a few cool shirts, obviously a bunch of other stuff as well, but the designs that he has in mind sound fantastic. I have a couple other artist friends who are also interested in making stuff for merch for Paranormal Almanac, and I can't thank everybody enough. That is just too flippin' cool. Okay, I lied. There is one more thing. I was asked to do a, was asked to ha make like create a place for one-time donations to the show. Now I didn't really want to do that. I kind of didn't. I, the thing about that is, it feels like I'm begging for money, and I am not. I hope you guys don't think I am. I hope you guys know that I love doing the show, and the patrons are what make this show happen. Without a doubt, without the patrons, this show wouldn't happen. But there's a lot of people, for whatever reason, that said, hey, I don't want to use Patron, I don't like Patron, whatever, but I do want to donate to the show. And they've asked me to finally set up, they've asked me to set up some place where you guys can send me a one-time donation if you want to. You do not have to at all. But if you guys want to send a donation, a one-time donation to the show, I would love it. I think it'd be amazing. Please don't feel like you have to if you're listening to the show and you just want to listen to it for free. Thank you. That's cool. I love the fact that I have fans that are just listening. But, again, if you want to, you can go to paypal.me.me, M as in Mary, E, slash Kurt Sandvig. And that's C-U-R-T-S-A-N as in Nancy, D as in David, V as in Vegetable, I, G as in George, Kurt Sandvig. Paypal.me slash Kurt Sandvig. I'll put that link as well on the Facebook page. You can head over there. If you feel inclined, I would love you forever. I cannot thank you guys enough. So, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back for some odd hauntings. We are back, and like I said at the beginning... Look, there are a ton of ghost stories about old-timey ghosts still seen in hotels or the same old ghost seen forever. But what about some of the otter ghosts, or otter hauntings, if you will, that are out there? 
So up first in this edition, you'll kind of get an idea what's going on in a little bit, but up first on this edition is called The Faces of Belmez. Now, this one has a couple of theories, a couple of investigations, a whole lot of skeptics. So I'm just going to tell you the whole story first. And it is a small cottage in the southern Spanish province of Jean. And I don't know how to say Jean, so let's all learn together, shall we? Fine. Whoa, I was way off. It is in the southern Spanish province of Jaén. And it had an unusual paranormal event. An odd one, if you will. The year was 1971. Maria Gomez Pereira noticed something odd on the floor of her cottage. It was a crude face. Now, it wasn't necessarily drawn onto the floor, but it seemed to be coming out of the floor itself, she said. Now, despite what many sites say, these weren't perfect, lifelike faces that were like plaster castings that came out of the floor. No 3D, none of that stuff. But it was more like pareidolia or whatever you pronounce it. They were faces. They weren't splotches, but they weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You look down and you go, oh, that thing on the floor, that splotch, that marking, that stain, whatever you want to call it, that looks like a face of a guy. That one looks like a face of a kid. So it, they did look like something, but they weren't perfect. Like I say, a lot of sites overblow the faces of Balmez and they show like perfect life castings that seem to be coming out of the floor. No, bullshit. It didn't look like that. But anyhow, now she didn't like the faces, so she tried to clean it unsuccessfully. She tried everything she could think of to get rid of this stain or whatever happened on her floor seemingly overnight, but she couldn't get rid of it. Now when that didn't work, her son or her husband or both, again, depending on the story, definitely seems like the husband was involved. Well, he took a pickaxe to the cement floor and destroyed it. Then he poured down new cement, which is a bit of an overreaction in my opinion, but did that work? The answer is no, because two new faces appeared on the new floor, again, seemingly overnight. This time a man and a boy. First one, just a man. Now we got a man and a boy. So, she freaks out again. But thankfully, she doesn't like blow up the house or anything. But word does start to get out and get around in that tiny village. So people start lining up to come by and see the faces for themselves. Again, let me just say, these look like faces even I could paint onto the floor. So why don't I get right to the debunk? Well, because the faces started appearing more and more in the cottage for years. It started in 1971, and it brought not only tourists, in fact, over 200 tourists or villagers, however you want to say it, they came on Easter of the very next year. But also, other people started showing up, including paranormal investigators and skeptics alike. Before I get to the investigation, it's grain of salt time, because many sites say that when they went to pull up the floor the second time, because now they were like, fuck this, there has to be a reason for these stains of faces that are appearing more and more and more. So they pull up the floor the second time. According to many sites, they uncovered an ancient foundation underneath it. And right below that, 
they found skeletons, some that were decapitated. They said that these skeletons lay at rest in the ground beneath the kitchen, where all the faces started appearing. So the corpses were exhumed and studied. Researchers concluded that some dated back to the 13th century, which sounds fantastic, right? Well, here's the problem. I can't find any evidence that this happened. I looked in the local papers from that time, and nothing. This would have been a huge news story, no matter how small this town was, and despite the fact that it was 1972. There are a ton of newspapers from 1972 in that area. None mention excavations of decapitated skeletons under some weird kitchen, you know? None of that. So, there are a ton of papers around that area, but again, nothing that mentions exhuming skeletons. But some do mention the faces of Belmez. So there is something to this. All right, but back to the investigations. So first came the paranormal investigators who said that they knew what was happening. They called it thoughtography. They said somehow Maria, when she was alive, and even when she died in 2004, somehow was making the images of the dead below the house appear on the floor with her quote-unquote psychic powers. She was like a psychic Polaroid camera, if you will. Now, I can't prove that one way or another, so let's keep moving on. The very obvious thing that everybody was saying was, yeah, well, it's Maria. She's painting the faces. And the painting the faces theory was basically ruled out in the mid-70s, and results were inconclusive to how the faces were made. But they didn't appear to be using known painting procedures. In fact, they did one really cool experiment I like when they sealed the floor where the faces were beginning to appear. They started to see the beginnings of a face and said, I think faces are going to appear here. So they sealed the floor with a transparent plastic material and monitored them monitored them 24-7 so no one could, quote, manipulate or paint more of the faces. And even with no one going near them, the faces emerged completely under that transparent, that transparent plastic material. So somehow, under a scientific observational experiment, if you will, somehow the faces continue to appear even though no one went near them at all. Then, another investigation, this time in 2014, when an investigative journalism TV show called Cuarto Milenio carried out a technical analysis on one of the faces. Now, the research was realized by Jose Javiera Grasnia, who was a doctor in chemical engineering and a general manager of Medco, and also by Luis Almanacos, a forensic criminologist. Now, they ran tests on the faces and concluded that the images, quote, weren't made with paint. And also, quote, according to scientific knowledge and techniques employed in the analysis, there is no external manipulation or elements in the faces. I think that is huge. This is why that whole experiment or investigation, those two, are why the faces of Belmez are on this episode. Okay, that being said, now it's skeptic time. I want to give them their fair share. Even with these investigations, 
Many skeptics think that Maria made them with chemicals, not with paints. And they go into a very specific detail of mixing chemicals, some that react to UV light, some that darken over time, but none can show exactly how she did it conclusively, especially considering she was a housewife from 1971 and not a chemist. Could they be faked with chemicals? Probably, yeah. But not with what was in the house when the faces happened. And more importantly, no one ever saw her doing it, ever. Okay, unfortunately, after she died, again, it was 2004, after she died, some of the faces were still coming through. They thought it was now the, the spirit of Maria or whatever. So there was a moronic, alleged psychic researcher, Pedro Amoros, who tried to, quote, discover more thoughtographic appearances in Maria's house. And guess what? He found a bunch more! Gasp! Except, he was immediately caught making them. And he's a dumbass for it, because now a lot of people use him as a reason that the faces of Belmez are bullshit. But if you just kind of look into it, separate it all, there's real, there's probable, there's two investigations, scientific investigations, there's other investigations, then there's this dumbass. So, ultimately, what do I think you didn't ask? Well, I don't know. The faces aren't detailed enough to spook me out. Again, they look like something a kid would watercolor. But again, no one ever caught her doing it, nor could they prove how she was doing it, or what caused it if she wasn't doing it at all. It's one of them classic odd hauntings. Whoa, just like the title of this episode. That's right. That is the first case of odd hauntings on this episode. See? See, you get what this episode's about? Alrighty. So this next one is unusual, or odd, for a very specific reason. And that reason is, this story seems to be the very first ever scientific paranormal investigation, and it happened way earlier than you might think. It happened at a house called the Borley Rectory. Really brief history time. The Borley Rectory was built in 1862 or 1863, again, depending on where you get your info, and it was built on the site of an old monastery. That seems to be agreed upon everywhere. It was built for the parish of Borley and his family and had paranormal occurrences almost immediately for them. Then it was badly damaged by a fire in 1939, demolished in 1944, but... I could also find reports of hauntings in the papers on that, that monastery, on that place where the Borley Rectory was, dating from the late 1800s. So this place has a haunted past for sure. But that's not odd, or at least that's not the odd part of the history. This place has a haunted past for sure. Okay, now to the not odd part of the history. There is a tale of a nun and a monk who fell in love. They lived there, or they met there. It was a monastery, so they were there. They fell in love. They attempted to elope. And yeah, 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 you know the rest. They were caught. He was hanged. Boom. He's a ghost. She was walled up into an old monastery. Boom. She's a ghost. 
That's right, I said she was walled up in the old monastery. So what happens here? All right, let's move on to it. Uh, from there, let's go to July 28, 1900, when four daughters of the rector, his name was Henry Dawson Ellis Bull, saw what they thought was the ghost of a nun at twilight about 40 yards from the house. When they tried to get near it to talk to it, it vanished. Then those same girls witnessed a phantom coach or carriage driven by two headless horsemen. Now let's cut to June 9th, 1927, when Henry Bull died and the rectory got its next inhabitants, the Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife. So Smith's wife found a brown paper bag in the cupboard when cleaning, and inside that brown paper bag? Ah, oh, nothing much. Just the skull of a young woman. They also reported the sounds of several servant bells ringing despite them being disconnected, lights in the windows, unexplained footsteps, and a poltergeist. Oh, and remember that carriage with the uh, headless horseman? Well, Smith's wife believed she saw it too, and it seems to be unconnected. It doesn't seem like she knew about the story. It seems like she had an independent encounter with it as well. Alrighty, now cut to 1929. A newspaper sent their investigator to the rectory to do a piece about the hauntings. Now, his name was Harry Price, and in 1929, he investigated the house using cameras, fingerprinting kits, and other measuring equipment. This man, Henry Price, tried to scientifically prove or disprove the ghosts, and sure enough, Price himself reported many of the same paranormal things that past residents had seen. Strange sounds, ghost sightings, stones being thrown from nowhere, a vase and other objects being thrown or smashed. Quote, spirit messages were tapped out from the frame of a mirror, objects moving from one place to another. Now here's the cool thing about Harry Price. He didn't run away scared. He stayed there, and I mean he stayed there for a while, and wrote down and scientifically investigated everything that happened. He didn't embellish. He didn't get religious. He kept his head, and he tried to debunk using what at that time would have been modern scientific equipment. So the next owners moved in. They let Price stay there to work, and they got so scared they left. It said at around this time, during a seance, Price said he learned the names of the nun and the monk that I told you about earlier. At another seance, Price said that a spirit warned that the rectory would burn to the ground, and in the rubble, the remains of the nun would be found. Well, guess what happened? Both things happened. Within the year, the place burnt down, and sure enough, in the rubble, they found the remains of a young woman in the cellar walls. They did a full religious funeral, for the young woman's remains, if you will, and the hauntings stopped. So even though the hauntings weren't particularly odd, the results of the thought-to-be first ghost hunt turned out to tell the tale and prove the story. So I include it as odd. Alrighty, from the very first ghost hunter to the very first ghost story ever, here's an odd one. It seems to be true. It's a quick one, and for this quick one we go back to 1915, when Egyptologist Gaston Maspero 
published a translation of an ancient Egyptian ghost story he found in one expedition on four pieces of pottery, possibly set in Luxor. Now in the story, a ghost of a mummified man tells a high priest of the god Amun about his current condition. Quote, I grew and I did not see the rays of the sun. I did not breathe the air, but the darkness was before me every day and no one came to find me. The spirit said to him, what makes it so odd to me is that it does appear to be a ghost story. Now, was it a real tale or was it made up is it supposed to be an allegory? Is it supposed to teach us something? I don't know. In fact, we may never know. So, you know what? On to the next one. Okay. <laughs> All right, this next one. Well, this next one's just fucking odd. I don't know how to other... I don't know how else to describe it. Now, I personally don't really consider it haunted, but it's called Seattle's Haunted Soda Machine. So, you know, so yeah. In Seattle, on the corner of John and Broadway, people noticed something odd. An older-styled, sun-bleached Coke machine with a scratched-up side that has been operating for at least 15 years. And from what they can, what they can deduce, no one has been putting fresh sodas in it ever or taking the change in it out. Now, this old Coke machine is nearby Broadway Locksmith, and the owner says, he knows nothing about them. He knows about the machine, but he doesn't know who's restocking. He says he doesn't have a clue who's restocking it. In fact, the owner says, quote, I've honestly never seen anyone open it. When he was asked, do people get sodas out of it frequently? He says, oh yeah, all the time, all day long. And he said in the 15 years that he's seen it, he has never seen anyone refill it. Now the Coke machine offers cola, root beer, dew, and buttons labeled mystery with a question mark on it. Now that button gives a random selection every time, and it only cost 75 cents. So this reporter went to the machine, spent three bucks, and got a Mountain Dew Whiteout. Raspberry flavored Nest Tea Brisk. He kept pushing that mystery button, by the way. Raspberry flavored Nest Tea Brisk. A Hawaiian Punch. A Grape Fanta. But he also got odd flavors like vanilla Coke, black cherry fresca, and even sun-kissed cherry limeade, lemon-lime slice, Pepsi AM, and weird or obscure drinks like Diet Hubba Bubba bubblegum soda, and even bacon-infused Coca-Cola. There are also rumors all over the internet that people have gotten cans of New Coke and Crystal Pepsi from the machine. In case you don't know, they haven't made New Coke in a long time. Actually, I think they just re-released it for a brief minute. Same thing with Crystal Pepsi, very brief minute. But I'm talking vintage cans of New Coke and Crystal Pepsi from this really weird Seattle haunted soda machine. Then it gets even odder. In 2018, just as mysteriously as it came, it was gone. A note left behind said, quote, Going for a walk. Need to find myself. Maybe take a shower even. And no one has seen the soda machine since. So was it haunted? Who knows? Was it odd? Hell yes. What happened to it? Don't know. It just, you know, went away. Like I said, odd. Do I personally think it's haunted? No, but it's called 
Seattle's Haunted Soda Machine. Up next is, well, you know, up next is an odd one. Look, they're all odd. Up next is one about, uh, about a ghost that killed someone with a bow and arrow. For this one, we have to go all the way back to ancient China for a tale about Tupo. Tupo was an ancient Chinese ghost that had one thing on his mind, revenge. The story goes that before he died, Tupo served as minister to Chinese Emperor Haswan. Nope, I don't know how to say that. Let's find out how to pronounce this. Hassan. Hassan. Wow, okay. Hassan. Hassan. Alright, Tupo served as a minister to Chinese Emperor Hassan from 827 to 783 BC. Now the two had a fight, and I mean a huge fight. And unfortunately for Tupo, it didn't end well. Because Emperor Hassan had Tupo killed in about 786 BC. But before he was killed, Tupo swore he would come back and haunt Emperor Hassan. Well, Tupo was killed anyway, and sure enough, he came back to haunt the Emperor. But not only that, three years later, this was written. In, 70, in 783 BC, Hassan was killed with an arrow fired by an apparition resembling Tupo in front of an assembly of feudal lords. Yep, a ghost fired a bow and arrow and killed an emperor. So yeah, I guess the lesson here is maybe don't kill someone if they swear they're going to come back and haunt you, even if you kill them. That seems bad. Okay. Here we go. I want to see what time, how much time we have. I'm going to tell the story anyway, but I'm, all right, we're good. Finally, we get to the reason I did this episode. I found this story and went, whoa, this is odd. Hey, I should see if there are other odd things, but I'm saving the best for last. The oddest tale of them all. There's a lot of history here. There's a lot to this one. I'm going to do my best to tell you the tale the strange tale of Billy and the attempt to 3D print him. All right, let's get a little backstory on Billy first. From one of Billy's owners themselves. Now, his name is Greg, and him and his wife, Diana, nope, Dana, sorry, him and his wife, Dana, have a traveling museum of the paranormal and occult called the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and Occult, which, you gotta admit, is a good name for it. It is a traveling museum of the paranormal and the occult. It's a mobile museum that travels around to show off its haunted artifacts and other such things. So they'll have, they'll drive around in this van type vehicle. Uh, I think it's a Scion. They'll drive around in a Scion loaded with all these weird, haunted, paranormal objects, things, paintings, what have you. And they have shows where you can go to them and they'll show you all these things and they'll tell you the tales of these paranormal things. Sounds fantastic. Honestly, it really does. But anyhow, in September of 2015, this happened. Greg and Dana were guests on Coast to Coast and were talking about the museum and how they had acquired a haunted painting from someone. And two years, nope, and two days later, they got this email. Greg and Dana. Caught your Coast to Coast show on Sunday and heard you talking about the Museum of the Paranormal. I have a statue that I think you would be interested in. I was going to send it to you, but when I saw how local you were, I hoped you might meet me halfway instead. It would save me shipping on a very heavy item. I found the statue in the crawl space of our home several months ago, and my family and I have reason to believe it's haunted. 
I'm ready to put it in the trash, but would rather give it to someone who will keep others from using it. If you would like to know more, please email me, Tim. Well, email Tim they did. So they agreed to meet Tim at a Walmart parking lot near Dayton, Ohio. Now, Tim walked up holding a large burlap sack and immediately put it in Greg's arms. He was like, well, he's your problem now. Inside the burlap sack was an African-looking, two-foot-tall statue of a man with long features. It's carved out of wood. Um, it's basically carved out of wood. It's either dyed black or it's really black wood. But it is jet black except for ivory eyes and a triangular symbol on its forehead. Tim then went on to tell the story of how he found what will eventually be called Billy. He said he had purchased a, he purchased a house just outside of Dayton, Ohio. While running new cable through the basement of the house, he found a burlap sack bound tightly with bailing twine in the crawl space. So he takes it to his home office, uncovers Billy from the burlap sack, and his wife immediately went, nope, don't like that, nope. She said, no wonder it was hidden in the basement. So Tim left it in the office, finished running his cable. Then that night, Tim's son starts screaming in the middle of the night. They go to his room, and he said, quote, the little man from the statue came into his bedroom. And as the son laid there, the creature slowly tugged the covers off his body from the end of the bed. Now, this happened a few more times that week. First, they were like, oh, this kid's just scared because it's a creepy looking statue. But it happens a few more times that week. Then Tim and his wife started having nightmares about the statue themselves. He says, all I'll say is, they were the most vivid, detailed, and horrible dreams the two of us have ever had. So, Tim, rightfully so, goes, fuck that thing, puts the statue back in the burlap sack, ties it back up with the twine, puts it back in the basement. But unfortunately for them, that's when all hell broke loose. Electronics and lights would flicker on and off. Strange shadows would dart through the living room. And I don't mean out of the corners of their eyes. I mean, they could see the, they could see a shadow and see it dart across the living room with nothing there that seemed to be making this shadow. And more than once, the family would return from work to find their faucets running full blast. All the faucets. Then, there were nights when he and his wife would hear what sounded like a group of people rummaging through their kitchen, slamming doors, throwing silverware on the counters, only to find a completely empty room. Nobody in it when they went to the kitchen. There's nobody in there, but it's in total disarray. So Tim tells Greg, I was getting ready to toss the statue in the trash, but I was always too worried about someone else finding it. So when I heard you say you collected haunted things on Coast to Coast the other night, I knew you were supposed to have it. Now, I don't care what you do with it. Put it in your museum, burn it, whatever. Again, he's your problem now. So Greg was like, I got to know more. You want me to have this thing? It's obviously haunted. I want to know what finally made you get rid of Billy? Tell me about the nightmare. And Tim says, he said, okay, I'm not going to tell you about my wife's nightmare, but I'll tell you this much. I had a dream that I held her down 
put a sharp rock to her chest and cut her open. I heard her ribs crack, felt the warmth of her blood. I can remember the way she screamed. Everything. It was all so vivid. Then, if that wasn't bad enough, he continues, then I dug out her heart with my bare hands and I ate it. It wasn't a regular dream. It was terrible, he says. So they went, yep, all right, that's a good reason to get rid of the statue. So both Greg and Dana take the statue and go on their way. Kind of. Because old Billy the statue, again, I'll get to that in a minute. Old Billy the statue's in the back of their car. They're a very reliable car, they say. They get out on the road, and the car breaks down. Now Greg says the, advent the Adventure Mobile, as they call it, began to sputter and stall. I pulled over, popped the hood, and checked the spark plugs. Everything seemed fine. We continued on our way, but it wasn't too long before the car again began to lurch and jerk, this time with the radio turning off on its own. So they call AAA. They make it to the Mackinac Island Expo, where they were next stop, basically, for this um, traveling museum. And they unveil the statue. Greg says everyone felt disturbed by the statue. Everybody in the audience, them on the stage everyone. Okay, now I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, because I can keep going with these stories. They're fantastic. But, sorry, they're back home after that show, full possession of the statue. They continue to have troubles with the car, even though mechanics can't find anything wrong with it. And when he tells a fellow paranormal investigator about the statue and sends them a few pics of it, he said this. I showed the statue, I showed the photos of the statue to Bloody Mary who's a New Orleans voodoo priestess often featured on the Travel Channel show Ghost Adventurers. So he shows her the pictures, and her first words were, he didn't unwrap it, did he? So according to Mary, the statue was placed in Tim's basement for a reason, good or bad, and the act of unwrapping it, quote, confused it. It didn't know who Tim was, and worse, it didn't know who Greg is and why it's not in its home. So her recommendation was to create an altar for Greg and Dana to create an altar, making an offering of rum and tobacco, and just calmly explain to Billy where it was, who they were, and how it found its way to their home. She said, tell the man to purify the spot he found the idol. Since it was tasked badly, the family should all take sea salt baths and scrub the floors and entryways with pure ammonia. An African effigy could have been put there for a thousand reasons and tasked with a thousand jobs. When disturbed, it should be talked to and retasked. It could also house thousands of spirits, but its job depends on who put it there. One would hope it was for protection, but it could have been otherwise. She continues to say, officially, I would put in a week-long ritual to cleanse and baptize it then re-establish it properly. In many cases, a statue is buried as part of a ritual intended to curse someone. Once cast, the idol was wrapped in burlap and buried somewhere it wouldn't be disturbed. Now this was a particularly important detail in the ritual as any further fiddling with that object any time after that would result in the curse being visited upon the individuals who cast it. So basically, you ever find a statue wrapped in a burlap sack in the crawlway of a house, looks like it's an old African statue, 
There's a thousand things it might have been for. Maybe protection, maybe luck, something good, something bad, but probably to curse someone. And you opening that bag to look into it just sparked that curse upon yourself. So, anyhow, jumping ahead again. They closely inspect the statue, and they find a thin layer of dirt and dried mud caked in its cracks. And they went, oh shit, this one, at one time, was buried. So it's done for a curse. There's a good chance that that's what Billy was for. So they do exactly what Mary says, and you can't blame them, I would do the same thing. They explain everything to the statue while they gave it tobacco and rum, and that night, Greg had a dream similar to the ones he'd been having since he got the statue home. He says, I was in a crowded bus station. I began to scan the crowd for the pair of eyes that were burning a hole in my head. Figuratively, of course. He says, that's when I noticed a small man, more like an imp, draped in a muddy brown cloak, peering out behind a group of people who didn't notice him there at all. He stood about three feet tall, and his face was black and shiny as an inkwell save for his bright blue eyes, which were staring intensely at me. It wasn't until I realized that the cloak the little man was wrapped in was made of burlap that my mind put two and two together. This was the humanoid personification of the idol, and though the creature never said a word, he was clearly sending the message that he was watching me. Greg says I snapped back into a consciousness in a cold sweat, waking Dana up with me. So, they keep talking about the statue, they keep taking it to their haunted expos, they keep having troubles with their cars and everything else, and then, at a haunted expo, a woman had a seizure and spoke in tongues the second she touched the statue. They said they, everybody was freaking out. As soon as her hand went away from the statue, she came to from the seizure, was very confused and very scared. And again, rightfully so. So, Greg goes on to tell that his friend had a bizarre dream about the idol also, and even thought he saw it while he was driving. He said, I was awake. I wasn't asleep. I'm driving. And there on the road, the idol just appeared. Now, since then, they found out that even looking at pictures of the idol can cause nightmares and visions. So, if you want to see the idol, you can go over to Facebook and Instagram. I'll put the post... Uh, I'll post a picture of the idol on there for you so you can see what Billy looks like. Let me know if you start having nightmares and visions and all these other crazy crap. But that's where they'll be. They start doing an EDP session with the idol. And at first, they just get weird guttural screams on their recorder. They don't hear it when they're talking to it. But when they play it back, it's just weird guttural screams. And according to their own website... Further studies show that the piece to be a powerful and ancient artifact from the central Congo region, a piece which most likely had belonged to a tribal healer. This holy man would communicate with the spirit of an attached entity through dreams where the intelligence would teach him to heal the sick, punish criminals, and divine the future. The idol would often act as a bridge between the living and the dead, and offerings would be given to the spirit in return for favors. They go on to name it Billy and talk to it and give it offerings of rum and tobacco often. So, it's an odd object, but it's still not why Billy is on this episode. So, they decide they want to make 3D prints of all of their objects in the museum. Every one of them. 
They do the little scanner, they print it out, they've got a cool little version of the haunted objects. Everyone that is, except for Billy. So they try to scan Billy, and here's what Greg says about that attempt. In the case of Billy, he kept literally putting up a wall in front of his face every time we tried to scan it. We had to sit down and conduct an EVP session with him to, to find out he was just concerned about the scanning process. He didn't understand what we were trying to do to him. Once the process of performing a 3D scan was explained to Billy, along with the reasonings for the scan, they say that Billy finally allowed his image to be cataloged. In all, the process of scanning the haunted artifact took over 30 hours. Most of that time, the curator said, was negotiations with the spirit, or with the idol, with Billy. These types of strange hiccups aren't uncommon, but we've had equipment malfunctions in bizarre ways. Artifacts mysteriously go missing before we can scan them, and just two weeks ago, when we went to print a duplicate of a haunted mask we named the Fetid Face, it completely melted the printer. I want to go into it just a little bit more, so I'm going to skip ahead until I can find the EVP session with Billy about the 3D scan. We're going to take a haunted object, we're going to 3D scan it, and then we're going to 3D print it. This is a first. This has never been done. I've never heard of this being done. Well, number one, there, are, there aren't a lot of people who just have haunted objects. Right. Um, so I don't think it's ever occurred to anybody that this is an option or an avenue to go. Um, so if this is a completely uncharted territory, it's a new horizon, is it a responsible thing to do? Who knows? Because I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> Here's something interesting. There's a 3D shape in front of it. Look. See how... Oh, yeah, I there, see that. It's, it, there's something physically here, but it can't scan. We are trying to scan Billy, and it is proving to be quite difficult. We've tried it with some of the other, just other objects, just random things kids toys and I've not had a problem at all and for some reason every time we go to scan Billy it's like he doesn't want to be scanned or maybe he doesn't understand what's going on and and he's basically just messing with the whole thing there's a, there's a shape in front of Billy it's trying to scan something in front of Billy that won't move which is why I can't get his face see cause like look at see here's the angle and yep you can see it in front of him. What is that? There's something here that's stopping this from me. Billy, why are you not letting us 3D scan your face? Is there something that you would like us to give you before you allow us to 3D scan you? Do you understand what we're doing? Alright, so you can't really hear it, especially with the... Um a microphone, you know, stuck to a speaker that I'm trying to record on. So I'm going to tell you what Billy says. Billy says, that's mine, fucker. And then he says, is it going to hurt me? Now, I'll admit, it took me a couple of plays before I said, oh, I can kind of hear, is that mine, fucker? It's mine, fucker. Is that going to hurt me? So I'll put this, I'll put this on the uh, Facebook page as well, but about 3 minutes and 40 seconds into the video, you can get to the EVP session with Billy, but I'm going to play it for you guys anyway.
Yes. I don't want to be scanned. Okay, so again, I'm going to play that, or I'm going to post that on the Facebook so you guys can listen to yourself. See if you come up with the same um, responses that these guys did. Like I said, I had to play it a few times before I heard it, but then I did start hearing it. Now, I don't know if I heard it because I was reading the subtitles, which is basically what happens a lot with EVPs. It could say Farvel block them, but if you say it says uh, evil's coming, then all of a sudden you start to hear the words evil's coming. So that's a very common thing that does happen, but it's a very intriguing video. The whole video is really intriguing because they're trying to scan it and he's not wrong. There is something blocking Billy's face from being scanned. Then on attempt three or attempt four, he's scanning it, but it's showing a different part of the face than what he's pointing the scanner at. And he's like, look, I'm not at this angle and it's moving around on its own. Something was really affecting the scanning equipment, but eventually, after talking to Billy and Billy agreeing to it, they got a full, perfect little mini scan of Billy. So you're gonna get a milli, um, a milli. You can get a mini Billy. Supposedly, you can get a mini Billy if you go to the uh, to the traveling museum. What's it called again? Hold on a second. It's called the the traveling museum of the paranormal and occult. And I gotta say, I am a huge fan of this traveling museum of the paranormal and occult. Um, but yeah, so that's the story of Billy and the attempt to scan his face. Told you it was weird. Now, if you want to see Billy and the other attractions, and like I said, I really do. I want to see it when it comes to town. You can go to paramuseum.com and I can't wait to see this traveling museum. Hopefully, I can interview Greg and um, Dana I really hope I can interview them. I hope I can hold Billy. I'll definitely bring him some rum and tobacco. Oh, and, and they all, they do say that, that people that offer Billy rum and tobacco and are very respectful of Billy, good things happen, good luck happens. All around, it's a good experience. So it doesn't seem like Billy's all evil. You just gotta respect him. You gotta offer stuff to him. And, uh, you know, don't try to scan his face without his permission. Alrighty, so that about does it for Odd Hauntings. I hope you guys like this one. It's a little bit different episode, but I that's what I like, is the really different episodes, the odd stories that you don't really hear all that often. Um, I really do dig Billy. I think everything about that story is very cool. So, Billy, if you're listening, please don't haunt me. I don't want some scary-ass dreams, some nightmares. But if I ever do get to see you... I'll gladly share some rum with you, or give you the rum. You can just have it all. Uh, but I'd like to have a drink with you, Billy. All right, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that objects can be cursed or haunted? I had the discussion um, recently online, and uh, someone that says he's an expert of the paranormal says that he does not think that objects can be haunted, or paranormal things can happen, or connected, or spirits can be connected two objects. I completely disagree with that. I think there are thousands of examples that show that objects can be haunted. They can hold stuff. They they can hold the feelings, the thoughts, the spirits of the dead. And I think I can get behind that. If you love something so much, you have an object that you've had forever, whether it be a doll or, you know, something else. You 
connect to that object. And when you pass away, that connection is still there for someone else to discover. But what do you guys think? Did you guys like this uh, odd hauntings episode? Um, I hope you did. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Nice. Nice. Nice.